Welcome to The Real Church Podcast. Our mission is for you to know the love of Jesus and live out your God-given purpose. Now, join us and listen in to the latest message from Pastor David John Phillips. David John Phillips. I'm the pastor here at Real Church. If this is your first time, welcome. You are welcome here. Just like my wife said, hopefully you've heard it a million times. We pray that you felt at home from the time that you pulled in the parking lot until the time that you made it to your seats and even after you leave, that you just feel this sense of love, this sense of peace, this sense of joy that you've never experienced or maybe you're only experiencing when you're around some people. The reason that you experience it here is because we have people who have Jesus in them. It's changed their life from the inside out. Their past has been completely transformed. And when you give your life to Jesus, everything changes so that when other people see you, hear you, It's like, man, there's something different about you. That's real change. We have a lot of people that are like that. So when you come in and you sense that, you're sensing the change of Jesus. It's not just a bunch of religion. It's a relationship that changes people from the inside out. And we want that for every single one of you because it's worth it. It's true life and it's amazing. And part of that is is just being the church, not just in the church, but everywhere that you go, everywhere that our team goes, that they're being the church, they're leading people to Jesus. Uh, uh, it's it's so fun. My my little sister actually, um, she didn't know I was going to say this. I didn't know I was going to say this, but she's been praying for her friends at at Largo High School um, since she got here. Just she has a lot of friends that are hurting. I mean, and I'm sure that you do too. A lot of friends that are hurting that maybe they don't even know that they're hurting. There's no peace, no joy. That Just pray. Prayer works, guys. Prayer works. It does. And then she's just, I mean, she's not perfect. She messes up sometimes, but because she's in right relationship with Jesus, she falls forward every single time, and her friends are beginning to see Jesus in her and want what she has, right? And then Friday night, another one of her friends gave her life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The church is not this building. You are the church. Period. You, everywhere that you go, you are the church. You are the church in your family. You know what? Some of you that have husbands or wives or kids that don't know Jesus, they're waiting to see Jesus in you. Your job, that's the church. You being the church at your job and the people that don't know Jesus, they're they're waiting to experience the love of Jesus and they're waiting on you. We did an exercise. Um, We have the dream team. We have our own special service. You want to be a part of the dream team service, you got to join the dream team. It's 8.45 a.m. And we come here after we set up and we do all kinds of, I mean, we just worship together and encourage. And and, uh, we had our own little special service, 8.45. We, We did worship and I encourage them about how to share their faith with, with their family or with others. I was just very simple. Like I said, hey, think of three descriptive words that, that describe you before Jesus. And I'm, you heard words like, you know, hurting, lost, um, broken. Uh, you heard words like uh, drunk. You heard words like just uh, hopeless, um, ugly. I mean, all kinds of descriptive words to describe them before Jesus. And then I asked them this. I said, how, how did you come to know, think about how you came to know Jesus. What was it? And for every single one that spoke up today, every single one, they saw the love of Jesus in a person. 
They saw someone, they saw joy, they saw peace, they saw hope in someone. They saw Jesus loving them through that person, and it made them want the same thing. It made them desire to know the same Jesus that they knew. Every single one. The world is waiting for you to understand how much God loves you, how precious he thinks you are, that you're worth dying for. Because when you get a picture of how loved you are by him, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. When we get a picture of his love for us, we're able to love others in ways that we've never known before because we finally love ourselves because we see his love for us and we We've accepted who he is and who he says that we are. That's when you see Jesus' love changing lives around you, that's what's going on. He's waiting. People around you are waiting for you to understand who you are in Christ. You're the church. It's a big deal. John chapter 17. Jesus prayed and And we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into at least some of the message today. This is one of my favorite scriptures. You know, and and a lot of times we go into church, or if you've been to church before, and and you end up leaving church, or, you know, being hurt by the church, or whatever, a lot of times it was because of disunity, right? It was because of, of people gossiping, and backbiting, and all this junk that comes with, you know, hurt people hurt people, and if you come to church, it's full of people, so, I mean, it's, it's just part of it. But we're growing in our understanding of who Jesus is, and so God's healing all of that, and it's a, it's a house for broken people to be healed. It's, the church is, is not a, a country club for the healthy. It's a hospital for the sick, right? And if you know Jesus, then join in the team to help heal the sick and the broken. So in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying And he says, I have given, verses 22 and 23, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, unified. Verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Unity. So unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the church. You guys are the church. So unity, getting to know one another and, 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 and doing ministry together, doing life together. Unity between churches. Like that is the most effective form of evangelism. Unity is the most effective form of the world knowing Jesus. Why? Because they see Christians loving one another and having this joy and this peace. And they're like, what is that? I got to have that. I've been looking for that. So I just want to pray for you, for me, and for the church, real church, but also for the churches in the area. Because, man, what would happen? What kind of a revival would happen? What kind of amazing life change would happen if Christians, not just at one church, but multiple churches began to work together to, I just think it would be an amazing thing. Wouldn't that that be life-changing? Father, I just thank you for who you are. You're wonderful. You're amazing. Thank you that you love us. 
Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Lord, thank you. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your presence is here. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And in all of that, Lord, I pray you make us one, Lord God, that, that the world may know, Father, whatever it takes, Father, that, that not only this church, but other churches in the area, Countryside Christian Center, Father, and, and, and Calvary uh, Baptist Church, and, and Pastor Q's church up in Tarpon Springs, and, and Faith Christian Center, and all the different churches in the area, Lord, I pray that today, that there are many people coming to know you, coming to know the love that you have for them in their churches. I pray that the churches are blessed, and any lies that are being preached unknowingly. I pray, I just shut up the lies, Lord, that let them see the truth of who Jesus is. Bless the churches. Bless this area, Father, and because the churches are blessed, Lord, and let people see Jesus more clearly because of unification there in Jesus' name. I thank you for the pastors that are going to become best friends in the area, and the churches, uh, as a result of that, will begin to work together, and, and the unity will be seen in such a way that it draws the lost, draws people who are hurting and broken into relationships with Jesus in ways they've never known before. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we just finished the series, the big series, quote, it, that was the title of the series. If, did you guys enjoy that series? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So we're going to get into uh, now for the month of April. Uh, April 21st is, is the big day. It's Easter, right, when a lot of people are, are go to church that maybe haven't been to church in a long time. If, so if you have any friends that haven't been to church and, and they're looking for a reason to go to church, invite them every Sunday, but invite them Easter Sunday, April 21st. It's going to be amazing. And, and for the month of April, we are going, the title of the series is Jesus, just Jesus. We're going to be talking about Jesus because it's him who breaks chains. It's him who, who sets us free. And we're going to get into that today. And it's going to be almost uh, kind of a continuation of the big series. All right. So let's start then. And, and you'll recognize this verse if you've been coming. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made sinners righteous. And we've said this before, you're not a sinner because you sin, contrary to popular belief, contrary to what most churches would say. You're not a sinner because you sin, you're a sinner because one man sinned, right? You're a sinner because Adam sinned. And in the same way, it was, you're a sinner or you are disobedient because of the disobedience of Adam, you're born with it. I've said this almost every Sunday for the past two to three months, is it's a nature issue. It's something that's passed down so as a two-year-old, if I want something, if a two-year-old wants something, like you, you guys that have two-year-olds, they, they, they take it. They say it's mine, right? And I say this every time because I really want you to get it. They say it's mine. They naturally steal. We didn't teach them to steal. It's a nature thing that's passed down from Adam. Because of the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Now you ask them if they did it, they say, no, Johnny did it. Why? They lie. Why did they do that? You didn't teach them to do that. It's a natural nature thing. By the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're righteous not based on what you've done. You're in right standing with Jesus not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus did for you, 100%. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're in right standing with God, not based on what you do tomorrow, you stay in right standing with God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus did for you. That is a concept 
that is so hard for church people to grasp. It just is. But hopefully we're going to chip away at that. We will chip away at it today. See, in, 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 in line with this verse, Romans 5.19, there's two kinds of people. And if you could bring up that next slide. See, there's, there's only two kinds of people in the world according to that verse. There's those that are, that are sinners because they have a sin nature, because they haven't been born again. So, and then those that are righteous, that are saints. You know, um, Catholicism talks about the saints like St. Augustine or, or St. Jerome or St. you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, they were saints. They gave their life to Jesus 100%. But in the same way, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're a saint. You're in 100% right standing with God, not based on what you've done, but based on what he does and what he's done. So when he sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, period. So you're, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's not red, black, yellow, green, and gold. There, there's not rich, poor. There's not, no, no, no. In my eyes, there's two kinds of people. There's sinners and there's saints. There's those that have experienced Jesus and those that need to, Period. Okay, let's keep going. John, and we, we, we got into John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 13, or verses 12 and 13, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So when, that's Jesus, Jesus gave you the right to be born of him. So when you give your life to Jesus, you are born the sin nature, the, the nature, the proclivity, the, the leaning, the bent towards self, the bent towards to naturally to lie. The natural bent to steal, uh, it, it is, uh, the Bible says it's crucified with Christ, meaning that when you give your life to Jesus, the old you is done away with, and now he gives you a new heart, a new inside. Now you, your, your heart is made new so that now you are bent, you're leaning towards him instead of towards self. Okay, you have a natural inclination now to choose God instead of choose self. That's, and, and, part, and a lot of you are sitting here like, wow, I've given my life to Jesus. Why am I not feeling that? Well, that's because we need to renew our mind to the reality of what he's done on the inside. Period. Okay? We need to see, we, we believe who Jesus is. Now we need to believe who he says that we are. Right? We need to believe what he's done on the inside really did happen. Okay? So that's kind of where we've ended up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. You guys are following me so far? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. We're going to drive this point home a little bit. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So if you pull up that next slide. Uh -oh. So as in Adam, all die, so in Jesus, Jesus Christ, all will be made alive. So once again, there's two types of people. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. You're either in Adam, of the old man, or you're in Jesus, one or the other. There is no in-between, period. Pull up the next slide. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. You're either in death or you're in life. As we saw the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
right? You either have chosen to eat of the tree of life, who is Jesus, meaning, meaning you have the life of God on the inside of you, you're in life, or you're still choosing to eat of self-knowledge of, of, of good and evil and what I choose to be my truth and which is independent from the tree of life, which is death. So you're either in life or you're in death. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either born of natural man or you're born of God. There's only two types of people, period. Now, I want to show you something. A geographical picture of the gospel. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And if I don't finish today, maybe we'll finish next week. Let's go to Joshua chapter 3. And if you're not familiar with the biblical story, I'll, I'll catch you up real quick. Um, if you've seen the, the movie with Moses, uh, Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They were in bondage for 400 years. And that's, you know, the whole movie where the Red Sea parted and the Israelites walked through and they go through the wilderness and, and um, you know, they go to this big mountain and God gives them the Ten Commandments and it's actually 613 commandments as we found out and, and they couldn't follow them. And anyway, they're on their way to the promised land, right? It's the land that God had promised to Abraham and Abraham said, yes, Lord. He took steps of faith moving forward because faith follows what God says, not what you see. And he took steps of moving, moving forward, and his, um, his descendants continued moving forward to the land that God had promised to them. So now they're walking in the wilderness, going to the promised land. Okay? They get to the promised land. They get, and, and you have, and we're, I'm going to give you just a, a little bit of a history lesson. So follow me here for a second. Try to, try to see this in your mind. You have the Jordan River, and on the, on the um, east side of the Jordan River, is the wilderness where they are. And on the west side of the Jordan River is this promised land that God promised to them. So they get to the promised land and they go to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. They send some spies and the spies look in the land. And this is the land that God spoke to them. God promised that it is theirs. They get to the land, these spies do, and they look in the land and they see giants, what they see to be giants in the land. And it says that they saw them to be giants and themselves to be grasshoppers in the land. Isn't that very similar to how when we feel like God has promised us something, maybe, maybe you know, you feel led to start this new business or you feel led to make this move or you, you feel led to, to do this or to do that. And then all of a sudden everything comes against you and it looks like there is no possible way that we could do that. There's no possible way that we could move forward. There's no possible way that my family come, could come back together and I could be a part of making that happen because I'm just little old me. That is too big. That is too hard. It's not possible. There's no possible way that I could change in that way. I'm just little old me. Well, look, you ain't just little old me anymore. You have God on your side. He loves you. You can put your faith in what he says over what your circumstances are. Faith is following his word over following circumstances. Circumstances are just lying to you. His word trumps that. Right? So... So what did they do? Well, they came back and they said, there's no way that we can do this. And so now the Israelites, they spend 40 years walking in the wilderness. That generation who didn't walk in faith, they walked in fear. 
They didn't didn't receive God's word. They rejected it for fear for what was comfortable. And they ended up dying in the wilderness, never getting to experience the promise that God had given them. I want to walk in faith. I want to walk in what he's spoken. I want to move forward not by sight, not by what I see, not by how hard things look. I want to move forward by what he has spoken to me, knowing that what he says trumps what I see. And if, if I continue to move forward in what he said, it will happen. I will see it, and it will become reality. This church is an example of that. Two years ago, God spoke this church into existence. In my heart, yes, Lord, he's moved to, moved to Clearwater, Florida, a place that you didn't even know was on the map. Plant a church that's going to change lives. Yes, Lord, I'm going. Guess what? Everything in the world came against me. It was not easy. But we did it. Why? Because though a righteous man falls seven times, he continues to get back up. When you understand who you are in him, when you understand that you're in life, not in death, that you're a saint, not a sinner, that when you fall, when you make mistakes, because we made mistakes on the way here. We made mistakes in, in, in you know, setting it up and, and, and do it. we didn't do everything perfect. But every time that you fall, it's an opportunity to learn and you fall forward into his arms. Faith keeps moving forward no matter how, time, how many times you fall. You can too. So, they get to the, the bank of the Jordan River, and they have this Ark of the Covenant, right? Uh, you, ever, you guys ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones? Is that the Ark of the Covenant? You know, it's, right. Okay, so, and, and in Joshua chapter 3, it, it tells them to uh, follow the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and to go into the Jordan River, and they're going to follow, follow behind. And, and when they go into the Jordan River, now this is the second time. This is after they spent 40 years, the new generation is ready to go into the promised land, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, so they go into the, uh, into the river. And actually, will you take that scripture down? We're not ready for that one yet. There we go. Let's, crossing the Jordan. Let's stay there. I'm going to read... Joshua chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, it says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut uh, cut off and stand in a heap. Now, I'm saying all these words about the Ark of the Covenant. What, what is the Ark? Like, what, what exactly is that? Why does it talk about the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? What's so significant about this thing? Okay. Now let's think. If, in, in, in Bible times, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, we hear about Israel being God's chosen people. So if God, if we were to imagine that God's looking at the world you know, and he's got his eye on some group of people, you know, it, it's according to like Old Testament and the way that it looks there would be the Israelites, right? So if it was on one specific nation, it would be Israel, Old Testament times, right? Now, if, if God's looking at Israel and he's got his eye, if he had a lot of a focus of his attention on one specific city, now this is for an analogy. I know God is all-knowing and all-seeing and all that kind of stuff, but just follow me for the analogy here or, or for the... For, for this story. But if, he, if he's focusing on one city, what city would, would probably be most important to him in Israel? 
Jerusalem, right? Now, if he's focusing in Jerusalem on one specific building, what building in Jerusalem would probably be most important to him? The temple, exactly. Now, if he's focusing in the temple on one specific room in the temple, what room would probably be most important to him? The Holy of Holies, exactly, good. Now, if he's focusing in the Holy of Holies on one specific artifact, one specific thing, one specific piece in the Holy of Holies, what would probably be most important to him? The Ark of the Covenant. Once again, back to the Ark of the Covenant. Why is that so important to him? Well, let's think about it. In Exodus, I think it's maybe 22. Don't quote me on that. It's in the notes on, online. It talks about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood. So it's a, it's a six by two box and it's made of acacia wood. Now what's so special about acacia wood? It's super hard wood that, that bugs and pestilence can't really penetrate, right? And a lot of times in the Old Testament, wood represents humanity. So acacia wood represented this unblemished humanity. Who was unblemished humanity? Jesus. Sinless, Jesus never sinned, never committed any sin. Okay, so, the, so we, we see that. But then also the Ark of the Covenant over the, and, and just so you know, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. So if you just answer Jesus, you're going to get it right. So, so gold in the Old Testament, gold in the Bible times and Bible, it, it represents God. And the, this unblemished acacia wood, this sinless humanity, which is Jesus, it's overlaid in pure gold. Completely man, yet completely God. That's Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant represents Jesus. Now, what is so special? Well, yes, it's Jesus. He's special. But, but what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant? You know? Inside the Ark of the Covenant, let's look at it. I don't have it on the screen. But in Hebrews chapter 9, you can flip with me there, or you can look it on your phone, or you can just listen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, 3 and 4, it says, Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place. That's the Holy of Holies, what we just talked about. Follow me. Which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And a lot of you guys are like, what's going on here? Put the, the slide with the three things on there. The gold jar of manna, the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, stone tablets, jar of manna, Aaron's rod. Why did the Ark of the Covenant, which represents Jesus, his unblemished humanity, sinless, the only sinless human to ever live, and then the gold, the pure gold that overlaid that represents pure God. So you have sinless humanity, so fully human, yet fully God. And inside of the Ark are the stone tablets, the jar of manna, and Aaron's rod. Why? Well, the stone tablets, what do they represent? And it represents the law, but in Deuteronomy 31, 26, it, it said to put them in the Ark of the Covenant as a testimony against mankind. Why? Because man, us in ourselves, are incapable of following God's law. So it represented man's rebellion against God's law. Inside of the Ark of Covenant was man's rebellion, a, a representation of man's rebellion against God's law. Next, you have the jar of manna. Let's think about the story of the jar of manna. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, it was like one, two million people, and they didn't have much to eat, and they're hungry, and they're like, God, did you 
did you send us out here to die? Well, he's a merciful God. So he sends down manna from heaven, which is like bread, sweet little honey cakes from heaven, and they eat it, and they're super thankful. But just like us today, if we, if we have something and it's good and we're excited about it, but we eat it for six months, we forget to be thankful about it, and we begin to complain about it. You ever, you ever been there and done that? Yeah, just a little bit? Well, that's what the Israelites did. They began to complain and, and say, oh, we need something else. This dang manna. This is bread from heaven. And they're complaining about what God gave them. I, I think back in my life, God has blessed me with so many things. And how many times have I complained about what he blessed me with instead of being thankful? Man, God, give me a thankful heart. Let me see what you've given me and be thankful for that and never complain again. So they complained, and of course God's gracious and merciful, but they, they put in the jar of manna in the ark, and it showed man's rejection of God's provision. So you have man's rebellion against God's law and man's rejection of God's provision. What about the third one? Aaron's rod. Aaron was like the religious leader of, of Israel, God had appointed Aaron as the religious leader of Israel. And uh, the people, and this happens all the time too, the people come together and said, who gave you authority? You know, we can do it too. I can, I can be just as good as you. Yeah. Who do you think that you are to be God's man or whatever? <laughs> and God had specifically appointed Aaron as the leader, the, the, the spiritual leader of, of Israel. And so they had a test. And they, they, they had one person from each tribe put a rod down, put a staff down. And overnight, God would prove who is the spiritual head or the spiritual leader of, of Israel, right? And overnight, 11 of the staffs were still dead, no life. And one, Aaron's staff, Aaron's rod, it budded and produced almonds and amazing, all kinds of amazing stuff. It was awesome. Showing that Aaron was the rightful thing. So, so if we're thinking about this, then that staff in the Ark of the Covenant showed man's rejection of God's chosen leadership. Man's rebellion against God's chosen leadership. So you have... The stone tablets, the jar of manna, Aaron's rod. So you have man's rejection or rebellion against God's law. You have man's rejection of his provision. And you have man's rebellion against God's chosen leadership. You got man's sin. Man's choosing not God. But yet you have this box, this Ark of the Covenant that's in this Holy of Holies. And it's like the most prized thing of all the Old Testament, and it, it, it holds man's sin? Why is it so special? Tony, if you could, you could swell What's the big deal? That would be kind of cool. Well, very, very if the answer was Jesus, then you're right. See, once a year, the Bible says the payment for sin is death. Right? Once a year, High, the, the priest would come in and he would sacrifice a lamb. He would, I know it's, it's, it was a bloody thing, but the payment for sin is death. And, and he would sacrifice a lamb and he'd put the, the blood of the lamb on top of the ark, on the mercy seat. 
And in that moment, when God looked down, he wasn't seeing man's sin anymore. He was seeing man's sin paid for by the blood. You see, it happened years later. See, the blood of animals could never take away man's sin. But Jesus did. Jesus is called the spotless lamb. Jesus is the ark. Jesus was sacrificed willingly on a cross. His blood spilled out for you forever. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, meaning Jesus died as your sin. In him, all of your rebellion against God's law, all your rebellion against God, rejection of God's provision for you, all of your rebellion against God's chosen leadership and authority, all of your sin, all of your choosing not God, Jesus took in himself and spilled his blood. The payment for sin is death. He spilled his blood for you. And so when God looked down in that moment in the Old Testament, when, when the priest is sacrificing the, and, and the lamb and the blood, it's, it's showing that one day when Jesus dies on the cross coming up, it, it's representing what's coming, that man's sin is going to be forever paid for once and for all. Once and for all. One time for all time. One, one person, Jesus, for all people. That God would be able to, to have relationship, that the war on sin would be 100% over. 100% paid for, God would have relationship with mankind. I was thinking about church people, we and I even get into this mindset sometimes. We make sin to be the problem. Sin's not the problem. Sin's already been paid for. The problem is forgetting what Jesus has done for us or rejecting what Jesus has done for us. I'll even go this far to say this. Sin doesn't send you to hell. It's already been paid for. Rejecting the payment for sin sends you to hell. Rejecting what Jesus did. Rejecting who he is. It's you have to, in order to go to hell, See, see, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he loved everyone, that whosoever, whoever gives his, <laughs> believes in Jesus, whoever gives his, would not perish, would not be separated from God, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that he would save the world. In order, in order to be separated from God for eternity, you have to walk over a blood-stained cross saying, I'm rejecting Jesus. It's, man, it's good news. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares about you, that he would die for you. Wow. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If 
you don't mind. Father, I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. If you're in here and you realize for the first time that you've rejected Jesus all your life and now in this moment you're like, man, I see that God loves me and I want to experience the life. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want to be a saint. I don't want to live in death anymore. I want to live in life. And you're like, man, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus right now. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand high. I see you. One, two. I see you. Raise it high. That's two. Anybody else? Anybody want to give their life to Jesus? Anybody else? You don't have to be ashamed. Wonderful. Would you, I'm not going to call you forward, I'm not going to, but would you look up at me if you raised your hand? I see you. Would you look up at me if you raised your hand? I see you. You believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? Do you believe that? Just shake your head yes or no. You do? Do you? Yes? Wonderful. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus right now? Yes or no? Yes? Yes or no? good enough. Well, let's pray. And we're going to pray. And everybody in here is going to pray with you. Okay. You don't have to understand everything. No, they're not, they're not going to, they're going to, they have their eyes closed and their heads bowed. They're going to pray with you. And I want you just to repeat this after me, if you believe it. Okay. So just close your eyes. Yeah. You don't have to, this is uh, praying. You don't have to say a bunch of, you know, crazy religious words. It's not like that. It's just being genuine and real from the heart. That's all it is, okay? So just close your eyes and imagine God, your heavenly Father, He loves you. And say, God, I realize that I've been far from you. Yeah, could everybody repeat that for them just to, just to serve them? God, I realize that I've been far from you. I've been a sinner. And I need a Savior. Right now, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. I am forgiven. I'm yours. I'm your daughter. I'm your son. Thanks for listening to The Real Church Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or would like to get to know us, be sure to check us out on social media by searching Real Church Clearwater or visit us online at www.realchurch.us. If you'd like to play a part in what we're doing, you can do so right where you are. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You can also be a part through giving. Go to realchurch.us and click the Give button. Whether you're praying, giving, or serving with Real Church, you are playing a part in every life being changed. Thank you. Until our next podcast, be blessed. We'll see you next time.